Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy's Show and Tell podcast. Uh, This is Tom, and as always, you know, the point of Show and Tell is to bring on a cool guest to talk about something cool that they are working on. And today's cool guest is Ais Angliomatis, and we're going to be talking about RPGs stories. It's this. It's a new virtual tabletop that's kind of doing some things that I don't think we've really seen before. So, Ayas, uh, welcome. Um, hello, hello, everybody, and it's an absolute pleasure being here. And hello to you, Tom, and to all the people that are listening to this amazing podcast. Thank you so much. I was so so. We were kind of talking about this before we really started recording. Um, about uh, I was kind of joking about how we've been doing so much different things with uh, the kind of the European community. All right, yeah. so tell people then. Uh, so what? So what part of the world are you from then? Great. So um, we, the team and I am we are all from Greece. We're Greeks. Um, I personally live now in London for the past ten months or something. But yeah, I'm originally from Greece and 90% of the team are Greeks. We also have one Brazilian guy. Okay. Yeah. So what's the what's the Greek? I've I've talked to a lot of people about like what's the Australian community like? What's the Italian community like? I know what the the London community is like. What's the Greek RPG scene like? All right. So people nowadays play a lot of role-playing games, and it's something really common. Back in the 90s, when I started playing, uh, when when I was a kid, um, it was like almost impossible to explain to someone what the hell these games are all about. Yeah. It was really hard because nobody knew. And I was one of the luckiest because my cousins used to live in the UK. So they were coming back, you know, for summer vacation, and they introduced us me and my brother to Dungeons and Dragons second edition <laughs> back then. And that's how I started playing. But now it's pretty famous and it's amazing to see how many people are getting in. And it's fun. The, on the other hand, the industry, the video game industry and software building and development is not that good because, you know, Greece is an amazing country to go on vacation, but it's a poor country. So no funds. Yeah. And that makes things really hard. Uh, gotcha. But there are studios that are making a lot of effort and they're trying to produce video games. Um, but even in these cases, there's always someone living abroad. Exactly as uh, in my case, for example. Um, I'm the director of um, the project, and I live in London, <laughs> so that's that's the difference. And uh, but yeah, people do play role-playing games, and I suggest to everyone that is a content creator or that is trying to sell the product or promote the product, and think that Greece is a, like a really small market. It's not. And the good thing okay. about Greeks uh, is that everybody that is involved in role-playing games speaks English. Gotcha. Reduce those translation costs then. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, uh, even when they uh, even when they introduced translated uh, books in Greece, nobody bought them because it, it, in our languages, these things and all these um, Tolkien's 
uh, mythology uh, sounds really funny in Greek. It's really hard to explain it. So nobody okay. uses the translated books and it's kind of a joke. Uh, we prefer these things to be in English. So for example, everyone that is going to read Lord of the Rings, he will choose to read them in English. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. So you kind of touched on this a little bit before we ta start talking about RPG stories. You kind you said that you started playing in the '90s, sounded like some second edition. So is that? So tell us then about your history with gaming since then. What what's kind of what has led up to from then playing second edition to RPG stories? What's that kind of arc looked like for you? Okay. So uh, basically, what happened is that when I was like 18. Or 19 years old, they asked me, my, my friends, they asked me to be the dungeon master. So um, I started being a DM and that never changed. You know how it goes. You, you are the dungeon master of your, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no chance you will play as a player ever again. So I was always the dungeon master and I really enjoyed it. And I was doing my best, you know, to back then buy books and find things online later on. Um, and then I, I discovered the Call of Cthulhu. We call it Cthulhu. I think you call it Cthulhu or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and we really enjoyed the game. And that led us also to Vampire the Masquerade. So, you know, I was kind of controlling all the, um, the RPG games and I was introducing them to my friends and new friends that I made. Never played online before COVID, to be honest. I always like to play around the table. Uh, and that was the thing. And in my uh, career, I was a musician. I was playing as a session musician uh, in Greece with famous people. And at some point, uh, I built my own home studio, recording studio. And what happened is that I booked a client um, that was basically a, a video software development company from uh, London and they were asking for some soundtracks and for some sound effects. So that's how I ended up being in the video game industry. And uh, okay. I decided to stop uh, any tools I was doing and recording in Greece. I started working for UK's companies and step by step, I managed to become like an art director and a producer in video games. Uh, okay. It was a long process, obviously. Um, and when I went to London, I thought uh, that I had some funds and I said to me, okay, maybe it's time to start something on your own. As a dungeon master, I was always looking for ways to please the players and make my quest being like amazing. Uh, and one thing that I also tried was to sell my own stories or give them for free, asking for donations. And I realized how hard it is to do it because of all of the copyrights and the whole thing with Wizards of the Coast. And which I understand why it's happening, but that doesn't change that it's hard to sell your own quest and do your own thing. And that's what led me mostly to RPG stories and motivated us was like to create a virtual tabletop and a world builder uh, that will be commercial free for the content creators. So interesting. So yeah, oh, that, no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Go go ahead, and I will. Explain no, I was going to say. 
yeah, no, so I wanted to say then, so, okay, so that leads us to RPG stories then. So before we, people have no idea what this is. Yeah. What is the elevator pitch for RPG stories? What is it? Yeah, so basically in a simple sentence, um, how I like to explain to people that are not familiar with virtual tabletops is like a 3D Roll20, basically. So it's a 3D wall builder software where the dungeon master can get in uh, build any environment in a 3D scene just by drag and dropping objects. Uh, we provide models for all eras of RPG, so fantasy like Dungeons & Dragons, modern, modern horror like Vampire the Masquerade, Cthulhu, and sci-fi for Blade Runner, Star Wars, or anything. And then after the world building mode is over and the Dungeon Master has everything ready, he can invite his friends and play online. Um, in the 3D environment and not in a 2D environment, using all the well-known features of virtual tabletops, like you know, fog of war, dynamic lights, things like that, but in a 3D environment. Okay, super cool. So 3D world, all right. So I think so. We've all, I think most people now have played with Roll Twenty, and I know there's the there's the Foundry uh, right now. But so like, what was your why decide to go? 3D then? What was like, okay, I don't want to just do a normal virtual tabletop. I want to go 3D. Why'd you decide, why'd you make that decision? Okay. Actually, there's a a funny story behind this. Um, So the idea was uh, that I wanted to, first of all, I want to create a company that will produce software, but not exactly video games. So I wanted to connect the dots somehow to create something uh, that will um, be in the video game industry, but the end result will be something else, not a video game. And I wanted to connect it with my um, the love of my life, role-playing games, tabletop role-playing games. And I was thinking that, okay, so there are so many free third-party software where you can go and create your maps. And I was using them, and I was really enjoying them, and I'm, I still do. Um, and I was thinking that how amazing it would be to be in a 3D environment and the player will be able to control his own camera and see the, the environment through the eyes of his character. And I was um, thrilled by it. And the funny thing is, and I know that the uh, people that are, are listening to us will probably already know that there is, uh, there are actually 3D uh, world builders out there and VTTs. Uh, and I thought that probably I am the only one who thought that. And I was, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I was such a, a, a huge uh, fan of role-playing games that in my head I had this stupid idea that since I don't know uh, any software like this existing, I'm probably the first one that thought about it. So I was so excited and, and I, I started, you know, um, trying to figure out how much money would that need and how I'm going to implement things. I was talking with my devs and with uh, my art director. And all of a sudden, I discovered when the community and the whole thing started, I discovered that there are amazing softwares out there, that they're doing kind of the same thing. So for one example is Tailspire, which is uh, the most famous at the moment. Uh, Well, basically, again, you can go build your 3D environment and then play. And at first, I was so disappointed because I thought that, okay, we're the first that we're going to do this. But on the other hand, 
having competitors is only a good thing because you know both sides are trying to do their best and it motivates you to create something even better but this is how it came to life and then we started testing every other software that is out there trying to figure out what the community needs and bring them to them bring it to them so we changed the design a lot because we were trying to figure out how we can be more unique or how we can be different that doesn't mean better but different and you know give a whole other experience to that to the people to use that so this so then so so you were you're testing these these uh these different softwares talking to the, your community so what was one thing that you found then that you're like these other virtual tabletops are not doing that we want to do with rpg stories okay so first of all i want to say something that i really really mean uh and if someone goes to our social media and to our discord server he will really realize that is that we don't uh, like to you know fight the competition or, or mm -hmm. say anything bad about the competition because they are amazing teams that they are delivering amazing products and they are, i'm sure they are putting their heart and souls into that um like we do so when it comes you as you told me you are a software engineer you already know that so when you are the first one or the second one or the third one who creates a type of software it's only logical that you will miss something or that you won't think of something that the third or the fourth guy will come and fix it for you but you know so his product in that particular feature might be better so the things that we saw and we understand why that happened to them is basically the first thing that we did was to split the code between the world building section and the play mode so with that being said for example uh you can build these environments and all these rooms and dungeons even being offline which is something that doesn't exist right now because it's something that you need to think in your architecture from the first moment that you write the code. The second thing is that by splitting these two parts, we are able to produce two different products. So the first one will be the full suite, the, 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 the GM, the game master suite, where uh, the user will have the world builder and the VDT, but also we can give a player's version, which will be a lot, lot cheaper, uh, and it won't have the world building features. Obviously, they can upgrade at, at any moment, but that means that the people who only play as players won't have to spend a lot of money to join the DMs. So if a DM needs to spend, for example, $20 to buy the product, uh, the player will need to spend like five and not, again, 20. So that's two things that we, were really careful at the beginning. Uh, another thing is that we we are, as far as we know at least, we are the only software right now that is coming up that gives models for all eras of RPGs. So, and I mean, combining the world builder and the virtual tabletop because there are amazing world builders where you can go and build 
sci-fi, modern, or fantasy, or anything, but they're not what it is. So we want to unite the whole thing into one software, uh, which is really hard and needs a lot of money, and we're doing our best. Um, and finally, something really unique that we have that it's never done before, and we hope that it will work out because we really believe in it, is that the players and the dungeon masters will be using 3D models and not 3D miniatures. So you will be able to create like a video game, your character, customize it, change the, um, your skin, your colors, your uh, everything, your, uh, your armor and your clothes, customize your character and put it in game and uh, add the character seat on it and then have like a 3D model moving it around like, you know, like Diablo or Path of Exile or any other game. Yeah, this is something that I, you all have some very useful videos that I saw on your website. Um, the Because a lot of the virtual tabletops with with 3D imaging that I've seen are kind of what you described with having a mini, which is cool. and But it almost it feels like you're kind of moving through like some Dwarven Forge or some really unique terrain. And that was kind of like I was looking at the world builder mode. And I was seeing you kind of drag and drop different objects. But then the other videos, they looked, I assume, where the game mode really did look like a character. Like It looked like I was watching a video game yeah, yeah, trailer yeah, yeah, instead yeah. of... Uh, okay, so then I guess there's... Um, is there the ability then for the, the player mode? Can the player create their own characters or is there like a character builder like we would see yeah. in like diablo or skyrim or something like that yeah so where skyrim is um is the the example <laughs> uh, that we are okay trying to you know invest uh, well basically what we want to do uh is to give one base model uh yep. for for humans and not to not male female just a base model uh, a base model for dwarves, elves, uh, or whatever races there are out there. Just one base model. And the, uh, the user will be able to take this base model and make it look uh, the way he wants. Um, we will keep the art style to a certain level. So, for example, if you check, <clears throat> our main characters don't have a mouth. Don't, they don't have lips. And that is just an artistic option. But they will be able to, you know, change the weight, the height, the um, uh, gender characteristics, the way they want, and then add the equipment and add the clothes and then change the character sheet. So you, you will be able to do everything from scratch. Now, I want to say something because people, when they ask, when we get questions like this one, it's pretty tricky. Since yeah. RPG Stories is going on Kickstarter and on crowdfunding, I want to make something really clear. So all the answers I give right now is the game design document that we have, not what we've implemented. So it's yep. what we want to do. So how complex this will be, it is dependent on the crowdfunding, obviously. But this is our goal, and this is what we want to do, and this is how our architecture was built, and this is how all our art documents and what we want to provide. Um, and the same thing occurs for the monsters. We want to give a little bit of customization because we know how home, how important homebrew is for the community. So since we are going to give a dragon, for example, 
given the ability to change a few things like take off one wing or change the color or make the dragon look smaller or bigger will give the opportunity to the DMs to create their own monsters. And since um, another thing that we implemented as well, and this is already done and we are really proud about it, is that everything you create in RPG stories can be exported in a single file. And then this file, it's commercial free. You can give it to anyone that also uh, owns the software and open it and play. So you can export in a in an export file everything you create, even the character seeds, even the your notes, because we also have like a note system where you can basically write and compose your quest within the world builder. So no paper, no Excels, no Word, no <laughs> Google documents. Uh, you can write everything there uh, and connect your text with certain objects, you know, like handouts and things like that. So we want to give something amazing out there. Now the complexity and how big this will become depends on the community. But uh, never whatever happens in the Kickstarter campaign, we are going to release this. So gotcha. there is a chance that the um, customization of the characters will just be changing the skin uh, or changing sets of clothes. If everything goes as we want and, you know, goes really well, we want to give full customization options for the characters, for everything. So I, so we've got the, I mean, there's so much stuff that goes into this. And these are obviously, these are like with software, you've got these different systems all trying to work together. And we've got our, we've got our world builder and we've got our character uh, creation and characters have different cameras and whatnot. And that's how we visualize the game. And you kind of talked about the, your note systems. Are there any other systems that are going to help us facilitate running games? Are there going to be like dice rollers or actually full on like RPG engines built into RPG stories? All right. So that's a complicated one. Uh, yeah. The easy question is that we already implement, have implemented and we already show these things to, to, to our videos. And we're going to show more and more as we move on to the Kickstarter campaign. Uh, so the videos we're showing right now, they were um, created like three months ago. Now we are uh, ahead uh, and we are we will start showing new things. So what we already implemented is that apart from objects, you can also add VFX. So for example, if you want to add a portal or or a trap or anything, you can add VFX in the scene. The second one is that we have a fog of war, like every VDT that respects itself. Um, dynamic lights, the field of view, all these things are in and will be working. And of course, the 3D dice roller. So what we really want to do, and again, this is dependent from the crowdfunding and how people is going to react into our product. What we want to do is to connect the dice roll to the battle system to the animations of the models yeah and then in the database use the rules of certain role-playing games so that um the dm or the player will be able to say that my character is going to attack this orc and he's going to roll them 
simple clicks, like clicking his character, then clicking the orc, then rolling the dice. And then the system will know that since this is the character sheet of the character and these are the stats of the orc, um, it's a hit. So we will get immediately the animation where the character moves and hits the orcs and the orcs lose life. We want to implement this system, which it's not that complicated. The problem and the reason that this is a stretch goal and we are going to ask for the funds, it's that it's a lot of work for the game designers because basically what you need to do is to take all the place handbooks from all editions, from all games and turn them to code, which is easy uh, for the developer, but it's really hard for the game designer to combine everything and make the developers understand what exactly we want to do. So in addition to that, our biggest dream, and I really hope that we will manage to do that. And again, it depends on, on the audience. It depends on the community. We want these set rules to be um, uh, editable. So that, with that being said, means that, yes, you, you will be able to go and say that I want the rule set of the fifth edition of D&D but then you will be able to change all the values. So if you don't want to follow the exact rule of fireball, you will be able to say that in my game, fireball does that amount of damage in that area. So we want to leave it open so that everyone will be able to homebrew anything. Oh man, you're letting users, you're letting users change stuff. Yeah, I know. So again, for the developers, this is kind of easy. It just needs time. For the game designers, yeah. this is a lot of work. So probably yeah. this is something that it will be a little bit crude in the first edition. And then, you know, moving on, there will be updates in the same price. I mean, we're not going to sell the updates that will, uh, you know, improve that system because it needs like a lot of time to implement everything. And gotcha. by July, we're, we're going to start contacting these companies because it's not only about D&D and asking them if they want to help somehow um, into this. Um, but that's what we are dreaming of, dreaming of, and that's what we want to do. Um, yeah, I think I answered your question. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, I know you absolutely did. Uh, I wanted to ask you then, kind of going along the same, same topic, uh, development of new software is very, it's, it's, it, it's a process. So what during this process, what would you say? I'm always curious to hear. What was the biggest development hurdle that you had to get over? So you as the product manager were like, we really need to have this in the thing. And then your de your developers and your coders were like, I, this is not, we can't do this. Like, what is that? What was that? But they were able to get over it. What was that one thing that was just so tricky during this process? All right. So, um... It's not going to sound that hard, but it was. And we think that we managed to, and we are still doing it, uh, because, because it needs to be implemented in everything we're doing. And that means that after the Kickstarter campaign, we will also have to deal with it. Uh, and it, it will sound to you pretty easy, but believe me, it wasn't. And we had lots and lots of meetings to find out how we're going to do this. So... Um, Basically, it was the UI. And let me explain why. <laughs> because, you know, it, it should be pretty straightforward. But um, design-wise, what I asked for 
and the, and everyone that was involved in the game design was to uh, basically have two different UI functionalities, the easy mode and the complex mode. Because after our research, uh, again with the competitors, we saw that many people are avoiding software like um, Telspire or Foundry or, or any or Roll20 because they seem to them hard to use. Because you yeah. know, all of us, the the content creators, and uh, all of us that we are really um, focused on uh, on these things and these hobbies, we kind of understand how these things work, and they they seem easy to us. But for example, uh, my best friend uh, really struggles with these systems. So we wanted to create like a, a UI that will be upfront uh, and that will be really easy to use, only drag and drops, nothing special nothing that will add extra buttons or extra clicks or extra ways to do things really simple and then add a few hotkeys where you can toggle and make the ui more complicated for people and dungeon masters that want things to be more uh, complex and they want to you know focus on details so let me give you just a small example so you choose from the library a table you put it in the scene and you can change the scale, how big it is, and rotate it up on its axis. That's all. Really easy. And you can press delete and delete it. But if you gotcha. yeah, if you press the toggle button, then a lot more choices appear where you can make it float, you can rotate it in any possible way. You can put it uh, half under the ground, you can uh, change the colors, you can change the textures, you can, you know, any, any crazy thing that a crazy dungeon master wants to do, it's there for him to do it. But we wanted to give a simple mode as well for people that, you know, gets confused. So we were trying to find a way, first of all, to treat the objects with two different ways. I'm pretty sure that you are a software engineer and you understand why that's tricky. And then yeah. translate this into the UI without making things complicated. So we ended up with toggle buttons. Basically, when you choose um, uh, to start adding models in the scene, you get to choose if you want the easy way or the complex way. Uh, and it, it's really helpful. And we've done a lot of experiments with non-experienced users, even users that never play D&D, &D, uh, to see how easy it is for them to control the whole system. Because we really want this to be 100% user-friendly. And that was our main goal. And it took us a lot of effort and money. But we are 100% positive that we delivered exactly what we wanted to. And people will see it. Yeah, I can just imagine those meetings now where you, you're telling your the, the devs that they got to basically write software twice almost. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. No, no. So that's interesting, though, because... I was going to ask you um, about common pitfalls that you think virtual tabletops fall into. And I think you kind of answered that question for me because this is, I currently use Roll20, but have been looking into switching over to the Foundry for various reasons. And I haven't made that switch just yet. And one of the reasons why is that even as somebody who is knows games, knows is tech savvy, learning how to really fully utilize 
Roll20 took a long time, all right? And how to use their macro system and all sorts of other things. And now just thinking about switching over to a new platform and then having to relearn all of these things is just so daunting. And then there's this, just been this hesitation to switch. And it's just trying to find a tabletop that has a very low barrier to entry is just something that I don't feel like I have personally found yet. So I'm curious to see how this all lands for you. Yeah, all. I, I totally understand. And I strongly believe that Foundry, and I'm, I'm willing to say it, that Foundry is the best product out there right now. Really? Yep. But when I bought it, after an hour, I said, yeah, okay, uh, it needs to be, uh, it's really hard for me. I'm not going to learn this software. And even if I do, how am I going to explain this to my wife? <laughs> that was yeah, no. exactly the, the thing. But watching other people playing in Foundry, I realized how cool it is and how amazing it is. But you know, when it comes to UX and UI, it's, it's, it's science. I mean, you need to be really careful. And... Uh, we ha- we all have to admit that these guys that created this amazing software were the first ones to do that. So now, you know, we we come uh, with all the solution, but, you know, they did the hard work. And you need to yeah. show to these people a lot of respect. Um, mm-hmm. That's yeah. my opinion, at least. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, it makes sense. I mean, so it's that's why I'm kind of glad I've seen in the last three years, two really two years, there's been more virtual tabletops cropping up. And I don't feel like they're all of them are kind of doing things a little bit differently. So it's pretty cool to see. So I wanted to ask you then about the, you've mentioned this, software development, it's expensive. You mentioned you're going to Kickstarter. When could we expect rpg stories to go to kickstarter all right so um let me answer that uh we are gonna give to uh to a few amount of people that have subscribed in our website uh to test uh, in our alpha event by end of august that will be the let's say the first experience someone can test the whole product. After the Kickstarter campaign, we'll see what fun we have. Uh, and our goal is to deliver a, a beta version, at least for the world building mode. For people who really want to test the world building mode, they want to export maps, they want to give 3D maps to other people. <clears throat> so that will probably be by December, maybe January. And our decision is that no matter what happens in the Kickstarter campaign, we want to deliver everything within 12 months. So let's say, for example, that if we uh, catch and achieve all our stretch goals, what we're going to do is that we're going to um, increase, the employee, increase the employees and make the team bigger, bigger uh, so that we can deliver faster. Because we don't want to fall into this trap, like, you know, uh, taking the money and then releasing after two and a half years or something. Uh, And another thing, and another thing I want to say here, because I've seen it happening. And as a customer, I was pretty disappointed. I I don't want to say the product or names or 
accuse anyone. But I've seen um, several Kickstarter campaigns going massive, like asking for 100K and earning millions, and then delivering the exact same product that they promised they will, uh, without you know adding new things or something like that. We, and I don't blame them. I mean, it's a decision. We really want to make this a lot bigger if we get the chance. We're going to present our stretch goals. The first goal would be something easy, and I think the community is going to support it. But our stretch goals will be really detailed, fully detailed. We're going to show everything. And if in any possible way this will go like really big, we really want to, you know, deliver more and more and more. Because, you know, the problem when you want to support a 3D world for modern worlds, for sci-fi worlds and Dungeons Dragons, you need thousands and thousands of models. And we don't want to, you know, we prefer to take the budget now and deliver everything uh, as soon as possible and keep delivering rather than selling the software and just because we don't have the funds, then starting selling models. Gotcha. Um, so let's hope that people will support. And yeah, we think that they will. I mean, the, the messages we get are so helpful and they make us happy and they make us believe that this is happening. So yeah, we're good. Yeah, so I think also for our listeners, we plan on... Uh, trying this out on stream so uh is is gonna help us get a advanced copy one of their testing copies and obviously uh yeah that's when you're gonna i mean you know that's when you're gonna get the real feedback yeah yeah so yeah that's what it's they're there for um so then i guess really i wanted to ask you as we kind of wrap up what platform will this be on? Is this going to be software that we'll be able to get right from your all's website? You all, will you all be hosting this on Steam? Or are we even too early to start talking well, about that? Um, Steam is 100% uh, yes. And as a matter of fact, we, we just registered on Steam today. And it was the oh, okay. today's big task. Um, so yeah, it will be Steam for PC and Mac. That's for sure. Now, okay. because people awesome. people keep asking. So for tablets, as you know, it's kind of easy because mo you mostly need to change the looks of the UI. Uh, mobiles will be uh, in our stretch goals, maybe in our third. And the reason is that we would like to bring RPG stories in the table as well. So you know, and not only online. So give the opportunity to the dungeon master have his own laptop on the table, um, delivering the story and the players to be able to watch the environments on their phones uh, okay. around the table. That's cool. But we have to admit and to be honest that, you know, changing everything to a mobile thing, it's really expensive. So yeah, it will be a stretch goal. Yeah. Yeah, because one of the things that one of my one of my best friends he's got the he's got the the premier gaming setup at his house. He's got the gaming table that he made. He cut, did the cutout for the TV that he shows um, in the table, like the world and everything. As we 
move through it. Uh, uses maps and everything. So it'd be cool to have, you know, yeah, something yeah, yeah. like this as well. We right. we we, so we like, want to, yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. So I guess really, as we wrap up, then what is what's the what's the last thing that you really think our listeners need to know about RPG stories? Well, um. I'll sound dramatic a little bit, but you know, when, when you're trying to promote a product, you come up with some lines, some marketing lines. So our main marketing line is RPG stories. It's all about your stories. And I, I know that it's pretty easy to convince people about it, but we really mean it. We want this uh, software to be about your stories, the, the stories that you create. And that's why we want everything to be as possible and we really want to give the opportunity to content creators and to people that never try to you know compose and write a quest and build the environments and then take this um, lovely um file and give it to their own community and you know start making a profit or a community around it and you know spread the word we really want you guys to have the freedom to do anything you want. Um, and another thing that proves what I'm saying is that we made the decision that in our Kickstarter campaign, we are not going to say what kind of models we're going to create. We're going to say the number. So in the first goal, it will be like, I don't know, I'm out of my head now, 500 models. And in the first stretch goal will be 1000 it will only be numbers and after the campaign is finished then we're going to email our backers with a nice poll and they will get to decide what kind of models they want us to create because we okay. really want this to be the community's vdt so if the community wants like the sci-fi to be closest to you know blade runner or the dnd to have like a desert environment and not a jungle environment. We want them to, you know, decide what they want us to build. Because for us, if we have the funds, then, okay, we, we don't really care if it will be like uh, something that will look like Dark Sun or something that will look like Dragonlance or something like Forgotten Realms or anything. We want to give the opportunity to people to decide how this will, you know, evolve. That's, I mean, ultimate customization. So that sounds awesome. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, looking forward to trying it out. I think it's going to be super cool. We'll definitely keep our listeners uh, posted on this, on our Discord, uh, give them all the updates and everything. So, uh, so Ayas, what's the, give us the social media plugs. Where can people go to find out more about RPG stories? All right. So the most important thing for us right now uh, is for you guys to uh, subscribe with your email in our website, which is rpgstories.net. You can go there, check the um, uh, website, and you can just give your email. Uh, other than that, in all platforms like Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, uh, Twitter, it's RPG Stories. It's pretty easy to find it. Um, I think in Twitter is Stories RPG for some reason. But yeah, if you Google uh, RPG Stories or search them in the platforms, you will find us for sure. Okay. Awesome. Well, once again, uh, thanks for thanks for reaching out to us. We thank like you. I, 
Yeah, I I mentioned to you before, uh, we we get to I get a chance to review a lot of books and different things like that. So anytime that I get to talk to somebody who's doing something a little bit different, it's cool. It's different, mixes it up for me. So this has been fun. So thanks once again. Thank you. It's my All honor. Right. Oh, no problem. All right, folks. As always, you can follow me at Bezkartom on Twitter, the RPG Academy at the RPG Academy on Twitter. Uh, and other than that, yeah, make sure you check out RPG Stories. We'll include all those links in our show notes. And then don't forget, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.